Welcome to The Socialist Program. This is the audio of our monthly seminar. Subscribe and support this programming at patreon.com slash the socialist program to join live once a month and ask Brian Becker your questions and listen to them as soon as they come out. Thanks so much for your help in keeping this independent show going. We can make this program with you, but not without you. Thank you again, everybody, for your continued support. It makes a big difference for us, of course, financially, but also psychologically and emotionally to know that there are people who not only like the show, appreciate the show, rely on the show, but are willing to be really part of making it a success by making a financial donation. So it's part of the collective. So each of us does our part to make shows like this possible. And and so that sense of community, that sense of the collective, very, very important for all of us. The midterm elections is the theme of today's monthly seminar, which, by the way, it may not be monthly. It may be more, more frequently than each month. We're sort of considering that. But the theme that I want to get started with is the midterm elections, what it means or what it might mean. Of course, it's still unfolding. Some of the results are not in. All of that will be very impactful, potentially. But also what it means in terms of the trajectory of politics inside the United States. The reversal of Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs decision by the Supreme Court, was in our estimate, and as we said on our show over and over again, a real turning point in a way, opening up a new era of domestic politics in the United States, where the right wing of the ruling class in particular and its attendant sort of organizations and institutions that exist in society, including right wing media, they did something that would have seemed impossible 20 years ago, which is to eviscerate abortion rights on the national level. And once having done that, it was our view that the right wing would feel emboldened to go after other either existing rights or policies that have been either progressive, positive, expansive of democracy, or inhibitive and obstructive of the previously unfettered or undiluted rights of capital. For instance, the Supreme Court also ruled that the Environmental Protection Agency had overstepped its authority by trying to limit emissions, meaning pollutants, into the air. I mean, if the EPA can't attempt to limit emissions, then what's the point of the Environmental Protection Agency? But for the right wing... That's their point. They want to eliminate the Environmental Protection Agency because they don't want any obstructions on the right of capital, unfettered, undiluted authority by capital to do whatever it does to maximize profit for investors should be the real law of the land. In many ways, of course, it is. But to the extent that democracy has expanded, to the extent that regulations have been put into place to clean the air or clean the water or to limit emissions or to mitigate climate catastrophe, capital considers these to be evil interferences by civil society into their right to dominate all of society. So the Roe decision, we felt, would put the right wing on a fast track to eviscerate other rights. And of course, those include marriage equality, other LGBTQ protections, the ability of people to 
have access to a truthful telling of U.S. history. And with the decision by the Supreme Court to accept the Moore v. Harper case, the North Carolina gerrymandering case, in this term, and it's going to be discussed for oral arguments in about a month, I think, that case, if the Supreme Court so ruled, could allow state legislatures dominated by Republicans and right-wingers to determine which elector slate would be accepted when it was submitted to the Electoral College if, in fact, there is a, a claim that there's a dispute about the election, as there was, of course, in 2020, where the Trump forces made the argument that it was election fraud, that the election had been stolen, it was corrupted, and that state legislatures under the direction of the Trump campaign, basically, or Trump White House, would determine which slate of electors was was the elector slate coming from that state. And so if the Supreme Court ruled with some version of the independent state legislature theory, picking up on a clause in the Constitution that was basically related to time, place, manner of elections, meaning the administration of elections, but if, if that clause is sort of broadly interpreted to mean that state legislatures and they alone can determine how elections are organized, that would open the door to electoral theft coming in 2024 or beyond. And if that was the case, and given the fact that 30 of the 50 state legislatures are dominated by the right wing, again, as a consequence of gerrymandering in large measure, that could set the stage for a permanent right-wing government in the United States on the basis of having done away in a de facto sense with the idea of one person, one vote, even for the Electoral College. So we've been sounding the alarm that the right-wing had the, the bit in its mouth, that it was emboldened, that it felt it was on a winning streak, that this was their moment to eliminate, eviscerate, or roll back expanded democracy and other important social, economic, and political reforms, and that this next year could be a decisive year. So that's been our message. We've been sounding the alarm, not because we have a crystal ball and know with certainty what's coming, but if people are not aware of the dangers being posed by the right-wing assault, then we'll have a repeat of what happened with Roe, where basically society was caught flat-footed instead of having been in a state of alarm, in a state of preparation, a state of organization, a state of mobilization. That's what we need to do now in the event that the right wing actually tries to carry through this very extreme program. The election outcome, these midterm election outcomes, in many ways was like pouring a pail of cold water on the head of each of the six members, the right-wing members of the U.S. Supreme Court, and the Trump forces in particular, because contrary to what had been predicted, that, that there would be a red wave, meaning the Republican red wave, not the socialist red wave, of course, the Republican red wave would put the Republicans firmly in control of the House, in control of the Senate, and that it was a precursor to what was coming in 2024, that would have encouraged this kind of right-wing, the emboldened right-wing orientation flowing from the success of the Supreme Court to end Roe v. Wade. But that didn't happen. It was not a red wave, more like maybe a red trickle 
it was, in fact, a big setback for the Trump forces in particular and for the Republicans writ large. The Democrats, we now know, based on the decisions in the election outcome in Nevada and Arizona and earlier in Pennsylvania, the Democrats will, in fact, control the Senate by a very slim majority. It'll either be 50-50, in which case the vice president of the United States, in this case Kamala Harris, is also the president of the Senate constitutionally and thus would be the tie-breaking vote. Or if, depending on the outcome in Georgia, the Democrats might have 51 votes compared to 49 for the Republicans. We don't yet know what the outcome will be in the House. It won't be a red wave. It won't be a Republican sort of sweep. The Republicans may, in fact, control the House of Representatives, but it will be by a narrow margin. And when you look at why all the predictions about the red wave and how the Democrats were going to be crushed didn't happen, there are some important things to note. One is the vote by women. I'm looking at the House races nationwide. 72% of women aged 18 to 29 voted for Democrats in House races nationwide. In the Pennsylvania Senate race between the Trump-backed Oz and John Fetterman, 77% of that demographic, 77% of women aged 18 to 29 voted for Fetterman. And then when you look at the youth vote overall, there wasn't an unlike or contrary to some of the reports in the mass media about an upsurge of youth participation in the election, that's not actually true. There wasn't a bigger youth turnout than had been the case in earlier elections, previous elections, the last ones. But the vote by young people, again, in that demographic 18 to 29, was decidedly against the Republicans. And so I think the numbers are 60% of young people aged 18 to 29, 60% voted for the Democrats. That basically eviscerated the domination that the Republicans had in the vote of older people. So here's another statistic that's quite remarkable. University of Michigan, poll was taken among students at the University of Michigan. 94% of students at the University of Michigan voted for Gretchen Whitmer, only 6% for the Republican Tudon Nixon, 6% to 94%. So without the youth vote and the vote of young women, the Democratic Party would have indeed been crushed in the House races. And it really says a lot because the young people in the United States were the same demographic that supported Bernie Sanders. I think they're supporting the Democrats in this case, not because they're in love. In fact, just the opposite with the Democratic Party establishment. They're voting essentially against the Republican efforts to crush abortion. They're voting against the Republicans and the Trump forces efforts to end environmental protections like the Supreme Court ruling on the EPA. That's all for this preview. If you'd like access to the rest of this seminar and our entire archive of exclusive seminars with Brian Becker, become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We are an independent show and we cannot make this programming without you. Thanks so much for your support. 